0: Join us and Neighborhood Cats for all you need to know about Trap New to Return, TNR, and Colony Management. You'll learn the basics and walk away with the tools you need to be successful in helping outdoor cats. Workshops are typically held the first Saturday of the month. Registrants will have the opportunity to earn a certificate. For more information and to register today, go to communitycatspodcast.com.
1: You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready?
0: And today we're speaking with Dr. Michael Delgado. Dr. Delgado is a certified applied animal behaviorist and certified cat behavior consultant who has been working with cats for over 20 years. She offers cat behavior consulting through her business, Feline Minds. She completed her PhD at the University of California, Berkeley, and was a postdoctoral researcher at the School of Veterinary Medicine, at the University of California Davis, where she researched the health and behavior of orphaned neonatal kittens and cats in multi-cat households. Michael is co-author with Jackson Galaxy of the 2017 book Total Cat Mojo, and is the author of the forthcoming book Play with Your Cat. Michael lives in Sacramento, California, with her boyfriend Scott, who happens to be a cat-loving CPA, and their three rescue cats, Coriander, Ruby, and Professor Scribbles. Welcome to the show, Michael.
1: Thanks so much, Stacy.
0: So before we jump into finding out all about cat behavior and and everything else, how did you become passionate
1: about cats? Yeah, I mean, I think I was born passionate about cats. I was definitely pretty obsessed with cats when I was a kid. My mom was allergic, so it took years of begging for her to finally let me get my first cat, Kittums, who eventually moved to California with me You know, when I was an adult. But um, really, I was not thinking of cats as a career until pretty late. In life, I guess you'd say, relatively speaking, I, I was working at a health food cooperative in human resources. I had you know a desk job and Kittums passed away. Actually, this was in 2000. And a friend of mine was volunteering at the local shelter, which was a San Francisco SPCA. And he was like, you should really start volunteering at the shelter because he knew I was really missing Kittums, even though I still had another cat. But, you know, he was kind of my heart cat. And, and so, so I was like, yeah, I'll volunteer at the shelter. And it was like the day I walked into the shelter, my life changed forever. I think I'd put it off for a really long time because there's this idea that shelters are sad, depressing places, but really like to me, it was this, it was an amazing facility. First of all, if anyone's been to the San Francisco SPCA, it was definitely like a leader in the movement to stop using cages as exclusive housing for cats and build rooms that looked more like a home with furniture and They had a very extensive program in cat behavior, which was also, I didn't know at the time, but like pretty novel for shelters in 2000 to have an established cat behavior program. And what I knew was that there was a wing of cats that had special needs and you needed special training to visit them. And so I was immediately attracted to those cats. Um, So I was like, how do I, how do I work with those cats? So you had to get extra training. I basically started volunteering so much that when a job opened, they offered it to me And I became an employee at the San Francisco SPCA in the cat behavior program. And that was, that was it. Um, I worked there for eight years, um, left to go back to school and to start my consulting business, Feline Minds, with uh, my business partner, Delara Perry, and have been doing consultation in the home and during the pandemic remotely um, since then. So... Really um, had a lot of opportunity to get insight into the behavior of lots and lots of cats because in a shelter environment, you'll see thousands and thousands of cats, as you know, and also a lot of insights into the cat-human relationship and what people are doing in their homes with their cats, what they don't understand about their cats, what they need help with with their cats. So that's been really what I've tried to dedicate my life and work to. Hopefully we're through the hard patch with
0: regards to covid A lot of people were home. They were home with their pets. They were home with their cats. They also saw lots of cats in their backyard that they didn't know exist. From your side as a behaviorist, was there anything different in sort of our COVID era versus pre-COVID
1: yeah. I mean, it's always hard to, to kind of parse out like what is, um, we know cats have, I think, kind of increased their place in our hearts, you know, as in, in the past decade or so, right. There's been more social media attention, lots of memes and videos online. And that was happening pre-COVID where we we just saw a boom in interest in cats and people wanting to have cats as pets, maybe more men having cats as pets, we're like just seeing some of the demographic shift in pet ownership. But when COVID hit, I think Most of us working in this field did see an increase in demand for services, so consultations for behavior problems, for exactly the reasons that you outlined. Like people were now at home all day with their cats. Maybe their cat was having some problems with that. You know, I think cats enjoy their people and love us, but they also are very set in their routines and having people home all the time suddenly or having kids home from school all the time, huge change in routine. First of all, people are now working on the couch that maybe the cat wants to sit on all day normally. And so we're kind of invading their space. And also, like you mentioned, people were seeing things. Maybe their cat was interfering with their ability to get their work done because they were Zoom bombing. They were noticing things that they may not have noticed, like their cats. Oh, maybe our cats don't get along as well as we thought they did. Or, oh, there is a cat outside who's making my cats upset, and he only comes around at 10 a.m. when I was normally at work. So we did see a pretty huge shift in um, just people kind of I mean, I think it was twofold. You know, it was people observing more, but I think the stress of the pandemic also made it harder for people to cope with their cat's behavior issues that they'd maybe been not dealing with before the pandemic. So now their sleep is disrupted by their cat. It's much more troublesome for them because they're experiencing stress of isolation, um, uncertainty, maybe being sick, family members are sick. So I think there was just a lot going on. Like everyone's in this very emotionally charged state, you know, at the start of the pandemic. And I think it's, it's gotten better for sure. But I, at the start of the pandemic, I think people were really like, a lot of us were not in the best headspace
0: a lot of energy and a wrong kind of energy for the house to have, especially considering we were sort of bubbled yes. in, a, in a space. And so we had to share energy and it yeah. it may have been received in different ways. I mean, certainly just an example, not from the past couple of years, but when my daughter was born, who's now 26 years old, my cats got pretty stressed out by that. And one of my cats pulled all the fur off of her stomach from the stress between that. And of course, at that point in time, I had a lot of different cats coming in and out and I was fostering at that time too. So, you know, there's a variety of different issues going on. And so those kinds of things I would think maybe also became apparent, you know, where cats were pulling out their fur and that type of stuff and more stressful issues around the litter box and clawing on things. And, you know, I've put stuff down on the cat tree because I don't know where to put it down. And then that cat tree is really, where the cat's supposed to be. And then the cat pees on it because they're (laughs) mad because the stuff is there. I mean, I can just take this story and just wrap it around in, in many different ways for folks that do have cats as a behaviorist, what would be your top three tips that people can do to try and keep a happy household?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Three. Okay. I'm going to really, I'm going to try and narrow it down. Um, you know, one is, is really, um, Resources. So, making sure that the space is set up for the cats you have. So, whether that's the number of cats you have or the life stages that they're at, um, as far as what they need. Um, you know, kittens need lots of playtime and and lots of things to climb. Adult cats need that too. So, you don't want to um, neglect the needs of your. Uh, adult or senior cats, but your senior cat might appreciate a heated bed a lot more than a kitten does. Right. So, so really thinking about the space, how many cats do you have? Well, you need to have at least that many litter boxes, ideally plus an extra. How many cats do you have? You need that many feeding stations. How many cats do you have? You need that many cat trees and scratching posts. So a lot of people want to have a lot of cats, but then they say they don't want to look like they live with a lot of cats. And to me, that ship has sailed. Like you have to embrace that you live with cats and make sure that they feel like they live in your home too. And kind of seeing it from their perspective, like, what's important to cats. Their litter box is very important. Their scratching post is very important. Their bedding and having safe places that they feel comfortable in. Very important. So number one is the resources. Um, number two is I think being respectful of how they like being handled and uh, making sure that we are um, letting them have some choice in our interactions. So we want to pet our cats a lot um, and we want to pet them all over. And we know um, there's plenty of research showing that cats have preferred areas that they like to be touched and areas they really don't like to be touched as a population. Now, of course, your own individual cat may be different, but most cats um, head neck up is a very safe place to pet them. Anything below the neck is iffy and the base of the tail is actually, there's been two studies that have shown that these cats least uh, favorite place to be touched um, so when you're handling a cat um, make sure you're watching their body language make sure they're enjoying it if your cat's constantly like walking away while you're petting them they're trying to tell you you're doing something that i don't particularly like and it can be hard i mean i see a lot of people and i i mean I, i'm gonna admit i do it occasionally myself where i want to pet my cat and then i'm like oh yeah she's she's done um, i have to stop like i would like to keep going but My cat's made it clear that she does not want more petting. Um, So we have to just kind of respect that their wants and needs because, you know, there's also research showing that when you overhandle cats or when you're too forward with them, that's actually a turn off for them. Like there's a reason that cats are attracted to people who are allergic to cats, right? And that's because they're usually very hands-off and let the cat approach them and kind of dictate the pace of the handling. And then my third top tip is about mental stimulation and enrichment, making sure that we are providing um, plenty of both mental challenges like food puzzles and um, solo toys to play with, but also other forms of exercise. So that would be interactive playtime, maybe a catio or if your cat's open to it, like harness walking or walks in a stroller. So they get some safe outdoor time where they can enjoy the fresh air and the sun, but not be free roaming, which um, I don't recommend just there's lots of dangers in letting your cats roam freely, both to your cat and to um, other wildlife and um, maybe your neighbor's garden. So, um, so I do recommend people keep their cats indoors, but I do think that cats enjoy outdoor time. So if you can provide your cat with safe outdoor time, that's a great way to provide them with um, some mental stimulation. Um, But, you know, Something as simple as playing with your cat with a feather wand a couple times a day for five minutes is a huge benefit to them in their physical and mental health. So really trying to get them um, exercise, not just letting them sleep all day and be a couch potato. Um, so uh, some folks, we've talked about this
0: a bit on the show, that there's really a shortage of veterinarians yeah. going across the country at this point in time. Are you finding that, um, some of the situations that folks might be dealing with, you know, they might have a hard time getting to the veterinarian. Oftentimes a behaviorist will say, well, you need to get the cat checked out by a vet first and make sure. And it's like, well, I can't get an appointment for six months or I don't have a current veterinarian. Nobody's taking new clients. How are you handling that situation?
1: Yeah, it really depends. There are cases that I will not take if I believe there's a medical component or a medical component has not been ruled out. And that is because in some cases, giving someone behavior advice when there's a medical problem is going to be counterproductive um, because the cat is, needs the medical issue addressed. Um, there are cases where it's like, well, I can give you some suggestions to manage the situation until you can see a vet, but I really want to see... Um, that there's, uh, there's movement forward on the vet visit, not just like trying to replace medical care because I'm not qualified to give um, medical advice. So I have, I do have to be very careful. Um, I recognize that it is very hard for people to get their pets seen in a lot of places in the country. I've seen it locally and all over. So my advice is if you're thinking about getting a cat is find your veterinarian before you adopt, like make that appointment as soon as possible, because you might not, you're probably going to have the cat before you have a vet appointment. You need to have a relationship with a veterinarian. It's it, Once you have that relationship, it's much easier to get an appointment on short notice. I can get my cats into the vet if something's going on. Um, my veterinarian's pretty flexible for established patients. It is something that we have to think about in the long term because we know that they've, you know, they've modeled that we're going to run out of veterinary care. There's not going to be enough care for pets. And some of us are going to have to make decisions about whether or not we can sustain the number that we would like if there's not veterinary care available for them. And I'm very glad right now that I don't have a chronically ill or critical pet because um, I know how stressful it can be when you can't get them seen right away. Um, Certainly emergency is an option. There are veterinary triage um, services online that you can... Pay for a call with a veterinarian, a video call where they will help you assess whether or not your situation is a medical emergency. But I do think it is something that needs to be addressed. Not only, I mean, we already know that people having access to veterinary care is difficult um, financially for a lot of people, people who love their pets. And now it's just, is the care going to be available? And I think what we can do is try to be kind to our veterinarians and their staff (laughs) so that people don't leave the profession we can encourage the veterinary industry to really rethink how much it costs to become a veterinary student. What are the obstacles to um, getting people who are who are wanting to practice in small animal medicine to go into veterinary care? I mean, I think we forget that there's people that go into vet care just to do large animal medicine or zoo animals, right? So not everybody wants to do small animal medicine. But, um, but for, from the behaviorist perspective, yeah, if your cat is urinating outside the litter box. There's blood, there's like clear signs of distress. I can't ethically take that on as a behavior case. Like I can't help you. Maybe you have to go to the emergency vet to get immediate care, but there, there are situations where like, you know, really severe unpredictable aggression. Um, usually I'm going to, yeah, just say, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help everybody who wants my services anyway. There's not enough of me to go around. So we need more behavior professionals. We need more veterinary professionals. There's lots of room for growth in the field. I hope that we can just encourage more people to go into the field.
0: Thank you for that. And it is, we're embarking on a very challenging path going forward for sure. With regards to the, the veterinarians, the technicians, um, I think the technicians, their role will change, um, and their compensation will increase hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, and get the, get the responsibility as well as the growth, the career growth. Too, yes. because I yeah, think there's absolutely. a lot of a lot of issues around veterinarians and technicians wanting more variety, and so yes. being able to have a little bit more flexibility and freedom within the practice may help also with the culture and keep more folks in the field rather than leaving. I, my understanding is there are some technicians that leave to go into nursing mm-hmm. um, just because the pay is so much greater over yep. there.
1: Yeah. And we should, as, as consumers expect to pay more for that care. And I think, you know, as I, I always feel grateful that I've never had to make a choice between paying for my pet's care and my rent or mortgage. Right. Like I think um, I'm, I'm very, I feel very privileged in that respect. And I know that's not possible for everyone. And so this is a good opportunity to, sh- to shout out. Like I know there's lots of great projects coming up, but um, I've been helping with some of the promotion of the Flatbush Cats um, clinic that they're working on. And so, Um, That's going to be a low cost community clinic that will provide veterinary care and TNR. So I think anything we can do also to support accessible care where the veterinarians still get the money that they deserve um, for their very specialized knowledge and people are treated well in their work environment. But some of that cost is absorbed through the nonprofit to help provide services for people who really need it. I do not need discounted vet care. I'm happy to pay full price because I can do so, but I know that that's not a choice for everybody who loves their pets. So these kinds of projects are really important to support and they've just started fundraising. So um, if you go to flatbushcats.org, check it out. And that's just probably, like I said, I think there's lots going on that people can put their money where their mouths are and support better services and more equity and healthier pets, hopefully. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, we've had uh, the folks from Flatbush on the show before, nice. so we'll make sure we get a link to their their show in the in our notes. <laughs> Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind, whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting. Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com and get signed up today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. I can't talk to a feline behaviorist without bringing up, there's two items. So you're going to guess which one I'm going to bring up. The first one is
1: declawing. What Uh, is your thought around declawing? hate it. (laughs) That's my thought. I hate it. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, Look, you know, if you can't accept that having an animal means, in your home means that you're going to um, possibly have some, some damage to your stuff, right? Then you shouldn't have a pet. One. Two, providing cats with plenty of, good options for scratching is a great way to prevent them from causing any damage to your furniture. My cats don't scratch anything that we don't want them to scratch. We have lots of scratching posts. We have lots of cat trees, um, lots of things for them to climb and dig on. And it's really not that difficult. Declying has been shown scientifically. Now there's been um, a really great study looking at x-rays and the behaviors. Um, you know, they did physical exams on these cats huge percentage of them experience um, what's called bony regrowth, where the amputation site, the you know, our, just like our fingernails continue to grow, cat's claws are not just tissue that you just cut off and it doesn't stop growing. So a lot of cats do experience bony regrowth and it causes, it's like a shoe in the pebble kind of sensation. So a lot of declawed cats experience chronic lifelong pain. Declawing also changes how they stand and walk. It changes their conformation and that leads to arthritis. Declawed cats have more behavior problems. There's no benefit to the cat. So please do not declaw your cat. (laughs) That's all I can say. If you know, just don't do it. It's, it's really not, there's nothing about it that is good.
0: So I seem to also be in a realm of threes. And so this topic deserves at least three points. So three points for success with regards to litter boxes.
1: Okay. Um, big enough. So don't get some little dinky litter box. I use storage bins that I cut a little entryway in so my cats can get in and out. They're huge. My cats love them. They like roll around in it and they they use them faithfully. Two, use a kind of litter that your cat likes. Most cats like soft, sandy litter. Where I see problems is when people use pellets or sometimes the food-based litters are not very popular. It has to be, you know, something that your cat likes to use, whether or not you like it. So your cat's choice comes first. And three is just scoop it. Like we know from research that um, it's not the smell that bothers cats so much as the obstacle. So when there's a lot of clumps of, of urine or feces in there, that's what they don't like climbing around and digging around. So if you scoop it twice a day, um, your cat will be very grateful. So those are my top three. I mean, there's lots of other things we could talk about. Like, should I have a lid? Where should it be? How many do you need? But um, I'd say large, clean and nice, soft, sandy clumping litter
0: excellent excellent
1: so you're you've got a book
0: coming out soon yes. and it's called play with your cat that has nothing to do with litter boxes that has nothing <laughs> no. to do with declawing it you know so what's the meaning behind this book
1: yeah so I've had a book agent for a while and she's been kind of you know bugging me to write a cat book and I didn't I didn't want to write another, like, how to fix all your cat's behavior problem books. Because um, not nothing wrong with those books, but there's quite a few of them now about, like, how to have a happy cat and, like, you know, kind of the basics, like, litter box and setting up everything. And play has always been kind of my passion topic. Like, I, I just see so many of my clients will be like, oh, my cat doesn't play. And then I'd be like, step aside and let me show you. <laughs> and then I would get their cat to play and they would see this whole new side of their cat. And the reason play is so important is... One, it's allowing our cats to express a natural behavior, which is really um, basically transferring their natural predatory behavior onto a toy instead of a mouse or a bird. Um, We know that hunting is innate for cats. It's everything in their body has evolved to be a very efficient predator. And when we brought them inside, we put their food in a bowl. and we basically took their opportunity to work away. Right. We took their job from them, which is to hunt. And so play is really the way we can tap into that hunting behavior and instinct. We also know that exercise has stress-reducing properties for humans. Lots of other animal studies have shown this. Although no one studied like the effects of play on stress in cats, we can infer from the mechanisms of like how exercise impacts our bodies that it is good for cats. It will help them cope with stressors. It will take their mind off fears. It will help them stay in physical shape. Um, so it's something that they should do daily throughout their lives. So as I was thinking about it's like. This is like what I want to tell people is like how play can transform your cat's life. Like it can help you have a better relationship with your cat, it can help your cat have fun, it can help them be healthier both mentally and physically. And I wanted to also kind of explain the like why, like how cats evolved as hunters and like their bodies and what they what they do when they hunt, what kind of prey do they like? How do they kill their prey and how we can mimic that through playtime. So it's going to be Half kind of like a scientific review of the literature around play and hunting and cats, and half like a how to. So, like tips on toys and techniques and when to play and how long do you need to play and what do you do if you have three cats or an old cat or a cat with disabilities. So, I'm really going to try to um, address like all this stuff I've been carrying around in my head for years about playtime and just how important it is and how I think everyone should really try to play with their cat, even if they think their cat doesn't play. And so, I think a lot of it is really just opening yourself to some new techniques, maybe some new toys, and also changing your understanding of what play might look like for your cat. I think when people think of play, they think backflips and running around. And for some cats, it's very subtle. And if you think about how they hunt, it makes sense, right? They spend a lot of time stalking and watching and a little bit of time pouncing and running around. So for an adult cat, it might be a little more of the butt wiggling and the watching and less of the backflips. So I'm hoping by changing people's perspective on like what play looks like and giving them really concrete suggestions on how they can improve their play technique that more cats will get the play they deserve.
0: So a lot of our listeners are just individuals out there just trying to trap community cats, either in their backyard or in their community, cats and kittens. Mm -hmm. Um, And we all know that about 75% of our cats that we get are either from friends and family or from other sources outside of of the shelter. So, you know, with that being said, many folks take in feral kittens or semi-feral or, you know, abandoned cats that have gotten kind of skittish and I actually think there's a pretty big role using play to help with socializing because many of those skills are things that they have been using outdoors and it's a kind of comfort level. You know, you don't get, you you get a bowl of food outside maybe, but there's other things going on. So, you know, if somebody did bring in a cat from the outside, you know, how would you recommend they use play to help with getting them socialized?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And, And one of the things I love about play is that we usually use an interactive toy that has a long stick. And a long string and a lure at the end, right? And so that automatically creates some safe distance between us and a cat. So if they are nervous around people, you can still interact with them from a distance without touching them, right? And so for a lot of cats, they are going to have this like safety bubble, where as long as you stay outside the safety bubble, they're not going to run away or hide. But um, if you get too close, they're going to run and hide. So we can use play to interact with them from a distance. We can use it to help them forget that they're afraid of us because we're basically doing desensitization and counter conditioning where we're gradually getting closer to them. Um, but we're also like having a positive experience. So I think playing with kittens um, or shy cats can, or under socialized cats can really tap into a natural behavior. And um, so I think allowing them to express that, yeah, it does help them feel more comfortable and they're moving. I think that's one thing that like scared cats get very frozen and kind of unflexible. Like they kind of have two modes, right? Like running away or hiding. And so, so playing does allow them to show a little more behavioral flexibility. They can kind of forget where they are I think the important thing is to not overwhelm them with a giant toy with like lots of bells and whistles necessarily, but like maybe a small like shoelace or a cat dancer, something kind of quiet and move it slowly so it's not threatening. Like I, I always encourage people to think about like what would a mouse or a bird do if they thought a cat was washing them, right? They'd probably be pretty frozen and they'd like kind of try to sneak away slowly, but you don't want to necessarily use those big movements. But it is a great, I mean, it is something I, I'm going to have a section in the book about playing with fearful cats and using play as therapy for fearful cats. I mean, there's lots of reasons that cats can be um, fearful of people, whether it's um, their personality or lack of exposure to people. But I think even some of the you know, most scared cats I saw in the shelter would eventually come around and at least bat at a toy. And that was always like a huge sign of progress. So I definitely encourage people to play with their cats that they're rehabbing.
0: Excellent. Uh, Michael, if folks are interested in
1: finding out more about the research that you've done, the books that you've written, how would they find you? Yeah, you can find me at michaeldelgado.com. That's like kind of my all purpose website. And from there you can get to I do a blog about cat behavior as well, where I review scientific literature, um, new studies about cats and try to translate it so it's easy to understand what happened and what the results were. I'm online. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So all that stuff you can find if you go to my website and um, you can get in touch with me if you have any questions. But yeah, my book will be coming out later this year. And um, I'm really excited to bring that topic to the world and always just happy to help people better understand their cats. Excellent. Any last thoughts for our listeners before we close out? Um, (laughs) Just, you know, cats are amazing, but they're not tiny humans. So always respect your cat For who they are, which is a cat first. Excellent. Well, thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. I hope so too. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.